Alright, welcome back to part two of Where's the Meat? On the Walking Closer podcast. Uh, this is a, this title, it's a play on that old Wendy's 80s commercial that, uh, you know, I think, I think I'm going to play that for you right now. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. So when I when I got to thinking about um, you know, this idea that I've been talking about here, where is the meat? This uh, this commercial uh, from the '80s, you know, it really brought me back to my childhood, and I thought, you know, it's it's really appropriate here because uh, it got me thinking about you know our desires to go for the meat, right? The deeper spiritual concepts, which which is a good thing, right? I I am where I am because of it, but. I have also experienced what it's like to not have that as well and to be stuck, right, in another place. And uh, and so in this this part two of Where's the Meat, um, you know, I, I almost I almost titled it Where's Where's the Beef. Um, I can't quite give you a good reason why I didn't. Maybe I should have. Uh, nevertheless, here we are. Um, so let's jump right in here. Um, do a quick review, and then I want to share with you what the meat is is for me. So the last episode, I talked about what the meat is not, if you remember, going back to Hebrews 5 and just really summing this up, the Hebrew writer's like, hey, I got some things to tell you. And and man, he's on a roll. I mean, he's just laying some stuff out there for them to understand uh, about, uh, understand some things about uh, where they are and really convince them all right, to not turn their backs on Jesus, okay? And in the process of helping them understand how greater, how better, how more powerful, uh, how much glorified Jesus is, um, he makes this comparison, this connection between Jesus and Melchizedek. He's trying to help them understand how Jesus could actually be uh, a high priest um, and not be of the tribe of Levi, okay? And so he uses this, he's going to use this concept of uh, Jesus being a high priest after Melchizedek. Melchizedek is someone we don't know very much about at all. We do know that he lived during the time of Abraham, and he was a high priest, and he came out and blessed Abraham. Uh, and that's about all we know. But the Hebrew writer is actually going to go on and explain more things about this relationship between the two. So there's this section, though, in between that where he interjects and explain some things to them, helping them understand why they are where they are and how this might be kind of difficult for them to understand and to see this connection. And as a result, it may not have the impact, right, uh, on them like, like it could have. Um, but at the very least, it's, it, it is a, a good demonstration for them to understand why they are in the position that they are in. And so what he does before he really begins to expound on this whole Jesus and Melchizedek, and Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and not of Levi. And it doesn't matter if you understand all of those things, okay? This is the point. Here's the thing you need to focus on. He says, you should be at a place right now 
where you get this, where you can put this thing together, where your powers of the mind, of discernment, of choice, and of experience uh, can help you put the pieces of the puzzle together and connect all of these dots. He said, but you're not in that place. You're not in that place. And in fact, you still need to be fed milk when you should be able to feast on some of the meat. Okay, And this is some of the meat for them. And then he explains to them why he says this. Um, And then he explains... Listen, so let's now not relay another foundation. Let's move beyond these first principles, the elementary, the rudimentary uh, uh, principles of the oracles of God, I think is how he says it here. Um, And he explains those things and what he's talking about. And he says, let's move beyond that. But if you remember the connection that I made to what he said about being able to a discern between that which is beautiful and valuable and, and, and up against that which is bad or, or worthless. You know, good and, and evil may be the way your translation states it. I connected it to what Jesus said when he says, listen, if you abide in my words, if you, if you live out what I'm telling you, you will experience, you will see, you will know the truth. The idea there is firsthand knowledge, things that you grasp and understand because of your experiences. You've walked through something and now you get it and it has set you free. Okay. Um, that's the process. That is part of the process that the people that the Hebrew writer is writing to have failed to walk through. They fail to experience this, okay? There's a connection there that we need to keep in mind when we think about what the deeper things are, okay? And so now that we have an idea of what the meat is not, then where's the beef? What, what is the meat? Well, at this point, I think the simplest an- way to answer this question is to say, that the meat is that which takes you beyond where you are. Some, some might say that what the meat is, um, well, it's subjective. Um, I think I would prefer to say there are a variety of different types of meat on the buffet, right? And the question is, what's palatable to you? Right? Where, what is it that you need where you are to help take you to the next step, to take you beyond, to catapult you beyond your current position? And so I would say the simplest way to answer this question is that the meat is that which takes you beyond where you are. So what's palatable to you? What connects you? Where, what interests you? What is that thing that can help you go beyond where you are? There are all, there are all sorts of ideas and concepts to explore, uh, like what the Hebrew writer was doing with Jesus and Melchizedek. There are massive amounts of ideas and concepts that can relate to us deeper understandings, right? Helping us to go beyond what has been laid down and explore and think and connect the dots, helping us to broaden our perspectives and see more connections and relationships between things, leading us to a better dis- to better discern more of what's going on around us, enabling us to take what we learn and apply them to real-life situations and gain that firsthand knowledge of how all this information relates to 
real life. But this is where we have to be careful. Uh, Because when we talk about the meat, we're, we're talking about a buffet of ideas, if you will, right? A buffet of ideas and concepts that if we're not careful, they just simply remain ideas or concepts. We talk about them, but they can remain in those philosophical spheres, if you understand what I mean. And while I personally enjoy the conversations surrounding these things, um, some have very limited power or ability to influence my day-to-day. Some have limited power to lead me to this, what Jesus says, this truth-freeing knowledge. Many, many of the ideas may be nothing more than theories or pure speculations, which are interesting to consider, but really can offer very little um, to this firsthand truth-freeing knowledge, Okay. Now, when I think about why the Hebrew writer would even mention such a thing as the connection between Jesus and Melchizedek, I have to ask, what's the value? What did that add to the conversation? Well, it seems these were Jews who had committed themselves to Jesus, but because of some persecution, probably from other Jews, they were giving up on Jesus. And the Hebrew letter is filled with explanations of why they should not give up on Jesus and how he was the Messiah they had been waiting for. Um, And to turn their backs on him to wait for another, well, would be in vain because he's already come. And, And without going into too much more detail, this section concerning Jesus and Melchizedek helped to support this narrative that Jesus was truly the Messiah come to fulfill the law. Uh, becoming a better way to God through a better covenant and better promises. And this had real everyday implications for us, but specifically in this context for these Jews, because it 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 would affect them. It would affect their day-to-day lives, their relationships with family and people they knew and understood and, and the decisions that they would be making and what they did and how they thought about things and how, how they responded to things. Um, and... and you know, all that he says, it's mouthful. And the Hebrew the Hebrew writer goes on through even chapter 6 and 7, making this same argument, right? Uh, bringing Melchizedek into the discussion. Now, so here's the deal. Bringing Melchizedek into the discussion had the potential to do what the meat can do. Bring different perspectives, better understandings, better clarity of what's going on. That, in turn, could help them determine whether they held on to Jesus or, as Jesus said, abide in me, or if they would give up on him. It had real-life consequences, and it would play out in a real day-to-day activity. And so that's why he mentions that, and that's something, that's the value that that would have added, okay, to their understanding. Um, that's why it would be called the meat for them. So I have to say, I've spent years researching and discussing what I considered the deeper things or the meat. 
And I have to be honest and say that much, not all, but a good bit of what I spent my time researching and discussing really didn't add a whole lot. It really didn't add a whole lot to my foundation. Or if it did, what was built was not good. Okay. Sure, I felt like I had a better grasp on certain ideas that I held to be true. You know, I, I would explore various theories and come to conclusions of my own and hold those to be true and even declare them so with confidence, um, maybe more arrogance and pride. But because I did develop, I developed into an arrogant and prideful person and I had a tendency to look down on other people, right? Because I've been consuming the meat. I, I was always ready for an argument. <laughs> I refused, refused to be wrong. And anyone who didn't agree with me, I, I did. I had a tendency to look down on them. I looked upon them as less than. You know, and the other things that I spent much of my time focused on were these things the Hebrew writer refers to as foundational or elementary principles. And my main concern was with defending them and convincing others what these, what these meant, never going beyond them in so many ways. Um, and again, like I said, and the things that I would consider or think about for the most part really didn't build anything beautiful. You know, and, and, but I have to acknowledge that these experiences did not lead to me being set free by the truth. They did not lead me to having firsthand experiences and insights that Jesus said would set me free. While there may have been lots of factors, right, that, that caused this, that was involved in this, I do now know from firsthand experience that this was because I did not have love. I, I know without a doubt that love would have made all the difference in the past for me because it has made all the difference for me now. In, in fact, from, from my perspective, I argue that the meat is love. I and I believe anything else that is truly meat will ultimately lead you to love. I think it's like the main course, like right? It is like the 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 it is the uh, the epitome of what a steak should taste like, if you will. And if anything that we would consider the meat, that is, those things that will help us get beyond where we are, ultimately, they should lead us to love. And if it doesn't, I would challenge if those things were meat um, or good-tasting meat, if you will. And this, this is why I say that. This is why I say that. In, in Matthew's gospel, there is this instance where the Pharisees got themselves ready to go and confront Jesus. And they tried to discredit him. Now, one of the guys was a lawyer or, or a scribe that taught the law. And he, he asked Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, Jesus responds by saying this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I like to say be madly in love with God. 
He says, this is the great and first or foremost commandment. In other words, this is what's most important. Then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, he says, now listen, on these two commandments depend or hang the whole law and prophets. So, in other words, all the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commandments, which can be summarized by saying love. So, you take all those things you think are heavy or weightier or deeper or meatier and recognize this. They actually hang on something much greater, deeper, stronger than themselves. And that is what we call love. In fact, all those things which are truly deeper of you know, greater value or that are beautiful or good, as the Hebrew writer put it, are nothing more than expressions of this very thing. Love. They hang on it. They depend on it. And so, where's the meat? Well, for me, the meat is love. Those other things that have helped take me beyond where I was and will also help me to take me beyond where I am now, yeah, I consider those meat as well. However, they seem to be nothing more than a means to an end to get me to love. And the more I focus on love and the more I learn to love, I learn to live it, I am challenged beyond where I am. And it challenges things in me, long-held beliefs or tendencies that I have. It makes me uncomfortable at times, but at the end of the day, it is life-sustaining. It is the most nutritious. It is, the, it is something that I can sink my teeth into and it leaves me truly satisfied and fulfilled. It doesn't matter which idea, it doesn't matter which concept, which theory, it doesn't matter the topic, it doesn't matter what I am learning and understanding that we might consider meat that will help take me to the next step. If I don't have love, if it doesn't lead me to love, and if I don't utilize that from the perspective of, or if it's not an expression of love, it is not a value. I would say it is worthless to me. Now, I still enjoy pontificating, right, on other ideas like, you know, I don't know, atonement theories. And I still like learning to look at the Bible through a more critical lens. I like to study biblical anthropology. And, man, I love trying my best to understand cultures and, you know, all those unsaid things um, that help maybe shed greater light on what was happening and help paint a better picture of why certain things were said or done. Um, you know, all of, all of those things are fascinating to me still. But at the end of the day, the thing that sets me free, and I think the thing that sets us all free, is ultimately going to be something that is driven by love. And one could say it's love. Because I, I can take the greatest command and try and live it out in my day-to-day, -day. and I, ex I can experience it for myself in live action, how it impacts and changes things.
And the more I do it, the more I understand how it truly is the greatest, and not simply because someone said it was, but because I try and live it, and it has freed me from so many things. Which, if you think about it, it's what the Apostle Paul said that it would do. But you're going to have to wait for part three. So join me next time for part three of Where's the Meat? The Walking Closer Podcast.